play them on the money line, and then roll it over every single time they win. Way out of here. Oh, goodness. The last seven games in which they've come in with rest have all gone under. For three, got it! Two and a half seconds to go. Plus 115, the price I paid for this, the I like it. Makes the catch at the 10, and he's in for a touchdown. This is Behind the Bets, the podcast. Welcome into the latest Behind the Bets podcast. I am Doug Kazarian. We are taping this on Tuesday, July 6th. And a big week in sports. Usually not this huge this time of year, but because of the movement in the NBA calendar due to COVID pandemic, we have the NBA Finals beginning tonight. I'm getting that momentarily, but also the return of the UFC to the arenas with fans. UFC 264 with Conor McGregor against Dustin Poirier, the third fight of their trilogy. We're going to be talking about it with our trio Matthew Holt and Lou Finicaro joining me momentarily. We're going to talk about the main event, the co-main, and a couple other on the prelim. So we'll talk a little UFC in a bit. But first, I want to touch on the NBA. No guest for the NBA Finals discussion. And we've uh, done that throughout the postseason. Basically, I just want to touch on a couple things that stand out to me. The Giannis injury. Look, we all want to fire and make bets and, and hopefully win money on these big events, right? Whether it's the Super Bowl, the NBA playoffs. Stanley Cup, you name it. But sometimes there's just not an edge. And I just think it's too difficult right now to lay the series price of $2, not knowing exactly what we're going to get with Giannis and when we're going to get Giannis to return. All signs point to his being out tonight for game one, but will he return game two or game three? How effective will he be? Last round, we saw Trey Young return, and frankly, I probably would have benched him in game six in the fourth quarter, at least. He just wasn't that effective, wasn't the usual stellar Trey Young that we we were used to seeing in this postseason? Or is it like Joel Embiid after missing the second half of game four in the first round and then missing game five, Sixers beat the Wizards. He, he, he came back from the injury and he was just managing pain more than anything. He was still dynamic, not quite the same. Didn't have that dunk that he said he, he could do at one of the end of the one of the games. I believe it was game four against Atlanta. But nonetheless, it, it just wasn't the same in bead, but it was close to. So if you can tell me exactly like how big of a percentage, how close to 100% we're going to get Giannis, then I can come up with a firm play in terms of the series price. Game one for me, no real opinion. It's already baked in the line that Giannis isn't going to play. Let's say he's out officially. It might go from six to six and a half. If he's miraculously going to play, maybe it goes to three from the minus six just because it won't be 100%. So it's really tough. Game one, favorites in the NBA finals the last uh, 15, 16 years. 15 and one straight up, 14 and two ATS. Now that's just a trend, but something to note. Uh, given the Suns have home court, I think they're going to win the series. Again, don't want to lay the $2. I think we're going to see a very loose Milwaukee team that finally got over the hump, reached the finals. They've been playing really tight the last few postseasons, especially this year. They were really tight against the Nets, but did get the W thanks to Kevin Durant's shoe size in game seven, enabling the game to go to overtime, then obviously outlasted Atlanta thanks to. Couple injuries, but both teams have benefited. But nonetheless, they are here. No asterisks whatsoever at all, in my opinion. I just think if the only play I'm making is CP3 to win the MVP at plus 180, to me, he's going to get all the deference from the voters if the Suns win it all. Thus, Booker or whoever else, maybe Aiton, but Booker's really the main competitor. He has to put up astronomical numbers. And for the Suns to win, I just think CP3 is going to have to have a stat line, right? He's going to have to have double digits assists in a few games, put up some points. I just don't think Booker is capable of just having monster, monster, monster games in the four wins. So I think if it's remotely close, 
I think it's going to go to Chris Paul because of the leadership and all the other narratives. So plus 180 compared to minus $2 is worth it to me. So that's that's my official play in this series. I do like Holiday tonight over 5.5 rebounds and over 37.5 points assists and rebounds. And we'll talk more NBA Finals maybe next week. We'll have a tied series or something like that and get to do another podcast. But I want to at least touch on the NBA Finals. Good move. Good move. Headquarters. Good to get the gang back together. Lou Finicaro and Matthew Holt back with us. And I, I know everybody wants to hear from Lou, given his Phoenix Suns, given that he's located in Phoenix or in the NBA Finals. But oh no, we are talking UFC 264. Conor McGregor back in the octagon. Rubber match between him and Dustin Poirier. And it's also returned to the stadiums in the arenas in Las Vegas with fans. This one at T-Mobile. So it should be an awesome, awesome atmosphere Lou, uh, I know you're excited for this fight as well. And uh, Matthew, you and I were just talking off air, but nothing like a fight night in Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. And I look, fight nights in Vegas have always dwarfed, um, you know, the handle dwarfs any anything other, any other fight. And what we're going to see this week is a huge fight in Vegas with a massive mainstream media appeal with two guys with big names, one of them the biggest name in the history of mixed martial arts. And on top of that, it's a pick em fight. I think this thing could do handle that we haven't seen since McGregor and Mayweather. And Lou, what do you, what do you make of this line movement? Obviously, we're going to talk about the fight, but Connor has such a huge backing pretty much every fight. He sets the records with a gate and um, you know pay-per-view buys, but he's coming off a loss here. And we know the betting public in any sport tends to remember what they last saw. But do you think the Connor money will show up this weekend? I do. And and Connor money uh, always shows up. And it always shows up late when the ports fill up with boatfuls of and airports full of Irish droves coming into Las Vegas to converge on the fight scene. So I do expect a little Connor money between... Uh, you know, Friday's weigh-ins and the fight going off, that's when I think we're going to see it. Uh, I am a little surprised that Poirier's grown a little, but I think that's wiser people that are betting early, perhaps, to try and get the price and believe that his size and durability are going to make it difficult for Connor in just five months to alter the outcome of the fight that happened in January. What do you think this closes? Right now we're at minus a quarter. And again, sometimes the public money doesn't move the money. It's the smart money, right? So maybe the, the books will just hold their position and have a rooting interest, so to speak. What do you think this closes? In the fight in January, McGregor opened minus 175 and he closed 305. Hmm. Am I looking for that kind of movement on this one? Maybe not. But I, I do believe... Connor could close minus 110, minus 120, and we could see Poirier closer to the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, no, it is fascinating. And uh, Matthew, I guess we'll start with you because I'm on Connor. Excuse me, I, I take that back. I'm on Poirier. Uh, look, Connor's great, a legendary career. I just think Poirier, I just trust the matchup more. And I just don't know what McGregor's done between now and, and the last uh, fight that I just feel Poirier is more durable. Now, Connor had a different approach, a more calm, non-edgy one, and he's vowed to come back to the edgy edginess, if you will. He'll have that two-inch reach, two reach advantage, but still, I don't think it's enough for Poirier. I like McGregor here. Matthew, where do you stand? 
Sorry, I, like I, keep, po- I said it again. I like Poirier. I apologize. <laughs> I like Poirier in a big way here, too, as well. And and uh, I do think that Lou brought up a good point, though, is that you might want to wait because it feels like now, all of a sudden, as we've seen this line drift as high as Poirier minus 130, that's probably the extent of how far left this thing's going to go. It's pro- The pendulum's probably going to swing back toward the middle. It's probably more likely to close toward a pick So if you didn't get Poirier, at a pick them or better already, then you probably should wait till Friday or Saturday. If you shop around, there's certainly going to be some books that have some big McGregor liability where you can get some Poirier back at a pick them. But I really like Dustin Poirier in this matchup. And one of the big reasons is over the last three to five years, we've really seen the evolution of mega gyms in the UFC. These gyms that just bring in the best of the best trainers in the world in every single skill set there could be and thus we've seen the evolution of fighters but more than ever these fighters are so diversified now in submissions jujitsu muay thai boxing kickboxing wrestling and, and you have to be a full fighter in order to compete with the best in the world right now and connor's always trained at sbg ireland let's face it sbg not exactly known for putting out champion after champion there a little one-dimensional in their approach. A lot of the fighters from SBG, actually, they got opportunities in the UFC, got those opportunities just because they trained with Conor McGregor. But at the end of the day, we saw something as simple as Conor McGregor didn't know how to handle calf kicks. Calf kicks are a staple in MMA now. I mean, that is, that's the new jab. That's the new body punch in MMA is calf kicks. And he looked completely oblivious of how do I deal with these calf kicks in the first fight? That's something that's very routine now that the best gyms in the world train day in and day out on how to check these, how to counteract the calf kicks coming from an opponent. I just feel like Connor, between all the money he's made, the time off, the the fact that he hasn't been training MMA consistently over the five years, the the amount of time in between fights is he hasn't had that advantage of going to an elevation fight team or something, training with the best, most diverse set of trainers in the world and continuing to evolve as a fighter. Conor McGregor is one of the greatest strikers we've ever seen in the UFC and his left hand is still deadly and he landed several in the first fight. So he certainly has a puncher's chance But what we haven't seen from Conor McGregor is that evolution as a fighter. And thus, I think Dustin Poirier gets it done again. Yeah, no, basically you articulated much better and exactly kind of what in my brain I was processing, right? One guy (laughs) who's just more reliable, I think, approach. I feel safer and more confident backing Poirier into this. Obviously, McGregor has the highs, but you just don't know what you're getting with him. And that was certainly illustrated in the previous bout between the two, and that's why I'm still siding with Poirier. I, I almost just don't trust my eyes anymore with McGregor's brand name, so to speak. Lou, how are you approaching this one? Uh, first of all, I thought that was an excellent uh, breakdown by by Matthew and you just there. I, t- I pretty much agree with everything. I think at the end of the day, we have to realize that Poirier is going to enter the octagon at 176, 177 pounds. McGregor going to enter the octagon at 165, 166. So you're talking about, we talk about Poirier durability, his size. McGregor in 
as I break down this fight, is going to need to sell out early and use his speed, movement, kicking game to try and catch Poirier. And I think clearly the Poirier camp realizes they need to take McGregor deep. This is a large cage now. This isn't the apex. Advantage the guy that wants to use the room. And I think that's Poirier benefits from more room because in the, in the fight I anticipate Connor bringing, a smaller cage would do him better because he must engage and he must engage quickly. Uh, he's also a deft, powerful striker with that left hand at 145, but he's one and two in lightweight fights. And against guys named Poirier, Nurmagomedov, and Diaz, that left hand, it, it had a little power, but it didn't have the same effect that it did for the earlier Connor. So for all those reasons, I'm leaning to Poirier, but not at this price right now, gun to my head. I'm looking at the props market, uh, fight to start round three uh, is uh, about an even an even tick the way I'm seeing it. So uh, I'm seeing one and a half minus 180 or minus 190 to the over. I'm seeing two and a half over minus 145. Uh, I, I would like to see fight starts round three or the over two and a half because I believe that it's Poye's intention to survive the early onslaught and take McGregor deep before he finishes it. And you have more room to work with when in a five round bout, certainly, which is something these guys are used to fighting with. Uh, Matthew, you're used to totals. How do you feel about sort of the uh, game flow, if you will? Yeah. Tricky total for, for the books, you know, that have a lot of props on this one. I agree. Uh, with Lou entirely, that I think this one's going to see round three, especially if you like the Poirier side. Uh, McGregor's best chance to win the fight is probably very early, landing a big left hand and then being able to follow it up and get a finish. We all know McGregor's history of fading as fights go on, and the size disadvantage is only going to compound that here in this fight. Uh, but the problem is for the books that just offer one total, it's one and a half rounds over minus 190. So you have to lay a pretty big juice toward the over. For a welterweight fight or a lightweight fight, I'm surprised they didn't make this total two and a half or three and a half with more of a 110 juice. That one and a half having to lay big, vague toward the over makes me a little bit uncomfortable in laying that much toward the over with the power of both of these fighters. Sometimes you can get too cute and, and you suffer a loss and you want to bang your head against the wall, but you can get Poirier by TKO, you know, obviously early, basically non-decision, uh, plus 175, plus 185 kind of thing. Does that interest you at all now, Lou, or you just want to wait for the price to move on the main sort of regular money line? Yeah, I'm real I, I, at this point, Doug. I'm really open to anything, but it, yes, if I can catch Poirier after weigh-ins and this thing starts to look like plus 100 or minus 105, that's where I'm going to go and try not to get too cute because I don't put it past Poirier to finish him, but I don't put it past McGregor to come up with something odd and and maybe make it to a decision. I I, I really uh, I, I really like the total here. Uh, and I like Poye, but I got to get another quarter taken off of that price. And right now you can get over two and a half plus money. So looking at a plus a quarter on that. So if there you want go. to, uh, yeah, that's sort of like a, a sweet spot, if you will. So good breakdown on that. Obviously should be an exciting one. Just the, the electricity in town 
and also obviously in the arena on um, Saturday night. Uh, we just want to touch on a couple other fights, but I, I do want to go to the co-main event. It's an interesting matchup with Burns and Thompson, and uh, Thompson about a minus a buck sixty here. Matthew, what what stands out to you? Well, I like Stephen Thompson in this fight, and something that he said recently, and let's face it, Stephen Thompson is the exact opposite of a trash talker. In fact, Wonder Boy is almost too polite sometimes to be a professional prize fighter, or at least it seems that way. He doesn't always have that killer instinct that you look for in a professional prize fighter. But he said that he is the worst matchup in the welterweight division for champion Kamaro Usman, as well as for Gilbert Burns. And I actually think when you look at all the ranked fighters in the welterweight division, that might very well be true. At this point, Gilbert Burns, who fought most of his career at lightweight, is probably going to have a hard time taking Stephen Thompson down because everybody's had a hard time taking Stephen Thompson down, including Tyron Woodley when he was in his prime. Stephen Thompson's just really light on his feet. He's really evasive. And at the end of the day, his height and reach advantage over Gilbert Burns are probably going to have the power-punching Burns walking into those Stephen Thompson strikes, sort of like Jeff Neal did. The problem for me in this fight is now that it's up to about minus 160, 165, is I feel like it's priced appropriately. So I think this is a great fight. I think if Stephen Wonderboy Thompson wins, he's probably going to get a title shot against Kamara Usman because it's a fresh matchup. We've never seen it before. And Wonder Boy is a guy with a name. So the stakes are high here, especially for Wonder Boy if he should win, because I certainly think a title shot's there if he does win. Um, I just think Burns here, he's going to have trouble closing the distance. I actually think his best shot at winning this fight would be to get Thompson down and try to finish him by submission. He has been knocked out, Wonder Boy Thompson, but it was a fluke, fluke punch by Anthony Pettis. I'm not sure that's going to be the most likely result here. I like Wonder Boy Thompson. I hate to lay that price, but I really like the stylistic matchup advantages for Steven Wonder Boy Thompson, despite the fact that at 38 years old, he's getting up there. Lou, you tend to take the underdogs. Are you fading the Wonder Boy here? No, I don't think I can. I tend to agree with most of what Matthew said, and in fact, all of it. Um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is, is such a balanced, great young kid, and his style is very, very hard and unique. And this stylistic matchup that Matthew referred to is a fascinating one. We have a karate kickboxer against a BJJ artist, and Burns is going to have to find a way to get inside. And that's going to potentially expose him to the counterattack of a precision-based, fluid-moving, effective striker kicker in Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Again, a larger cage means more room to maneuver advantage Thompson. And we don't have to beat this one with a dead stick, but if it goes to the ground, Gil will choke him out. Stephen knows he can't get there, and Gil knows the fight must get there and therein lies the intrigue yeah certainly an interesting one on that front and you have one final one for us Matthew yeah I actually have two plays on the undercard the first one I have one small favorite and one small 
uh, under, well, actually two small underdogs. The first one, Trevin Giles, he's taking on uh, Dreykus Duplessis, and I got plus 105 on Trevin Giles here. Look, Giles is still just 28 years old. This is a guy, three of his last six wins by knockout. He has three straight wins in the UFC over names like James Krause, Roman Delightsay. Uh, you know, tough guys. His, both his losses came against grappling whizzes and Gerald Mearshard and Zach Cummings, and he lost both of those by submission. This tends to be more of a stand-up fight. You have Trevin Giles, the natural middleweight, going against Duplessis, a natural uh, welterweight here. So Giles is going to be the bigger guy, tends to be the harder puncher. And what we have seen is Duplessis lost by knockout his, in his last loss in 2018 on the regional scene. And even in his last win, you know, which was basically a mit mismatch heavily in his favor, we saw him eat some big shots before getting the stoppage himself. I think if he eats some big shots here against Giles, he's not going to handle it as well. And I like Trevin Giles at plus 105. Uh, and then the other one I like, and I know that, that Lou tends to like the other side, is Nico Price. And, and Michael Pereira, for me, is a guy who just doesn't take fighting serious enough to win fights, has all the skill in the world, and to me gets a little bit too much credit because of his, his amazing athleticism and the moves that he can do inside the octagon that other people can't do. You know, the spinning, flipping, jumping, attacks off the cage, things he does that we've never seen before. But oftentimes that leads to gas tank issues. And we have seen Pereira fade tremendously in fights. He cuts a ton of weight, which can be a detriment to him as well. So a tough weight cut combined with the fact that he overuses so much energy trying to use crazy techniques sometimes. This is a guy who's 25 and 11. How does a guy as talented as Michael Pereira have 11 losses? Because he doesn't always take it serious enough. And his last two wins came against the guy in Zalim Amedioff, who's not even in the UFC anymore, who is completely overmatched, and then Caitlin Williams. This is actually a big, huge step up in class for Michael Pereira in terms of the guys that he's fought. Uh, and But on the other side, for Nico Price, this is a big step down in class. His losses come against Vicente Luque, a top five guy, Jeff Neal, who just fought Wonderboy Thompson in a main event. He has wins over James Vick, Tim Means, Randy Brown, Alan Jubain. What do all of those guys have in common, especially Vick, Jubain, Randy Brown? They're all good strikers. And what happened in each and every case? Nico Price knocked him out. Nico Price is a little bit crazy. He's a little bit wild himself. But he is a big, strong guy with power who I thought fought a terrible fight against his idol, Cowboy, Cer Cowboy Cerrone, which ended up being a draw. I just think Michael Pereira is going to make some mistakes. He's going to gas like he normally does. And the power punching Nico Price at plus 140 comes on and gets the stoppage round three. What about you, Lou? Do you have an opinion on that fight? I do. Uh, my opinion is a little different than Matthew's, but he surely makes a great case. Uh, to me, this fight uh, comes down to focus and feet. If Pereira shows up with focus, the same focus that he showed up with and dominated Chaos Williams in his last fight, then the uh, uh, narrative about him gassing and being uh, a wild 
undisciplined fighter goes away. And I believe that based on that last fight, Pereira, finally someone stopped him and talked to him and made him realize what needs to happen. So I believe he shows up with great focus. He is unusual in that he'll be much larger than Nico Price and Price is not used to fighting guys that are his same size. As far as the competition faced, uh, Pereira, you have to go back more than three or four fights to see that Pereira's faced some pretty dynamic fighters. And in this fight, I think his focus is going to bring him to a disciplined approach and his feet are what make him different than Nico Price. He will be much more athletic, more deft, and more fluid moving on the feet. And I don't see Price catching up to Pereira. And I see Pereira having uh, a very close, tight decision type of win over Price. Could he finish him? Maybe, because Price does get a little reckless and wild as well. And he could get a little reckless and wild trying to catch up with Pereira. Feet and focus from Michelle Pereira is how I see the fight. Look, if that Pereira that showed up against Chaos Williams shows up, then I agree with Lou. The problem is we go back and look at six straight fights before that, and it wasn't there. So was that one fight against Chaos Williams the anomaly? Or to lose point, did somebody finally get this guy on the right path? Because if he reverts to the old Michelle Pereira, he's he's probably going to look good for a half a round, start to gas, and be in trouble against the guy who hits awful hard. In interviews this week, both he and his manager have addressed specifically this. I am very confident that he comes with a plan. Good stuff, fellas. Strong opinions on uh, both sides of that fight, but it was also good to break down the main and the co-main here. I'm fired up. I know you guys are. Really appreciate your time, as always, and uh, collaborating to break down these uh, main events. Always a pleasure, Lou. Thanks so much, Doug. Best of luck this week, guys. Take care. My pleasure, and thanks so much, Doug. Matthew, good luck this weekend. Sounds to me like you guys a couple of bookies. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Behind the Bets podcast. Special thanks to... Matthew and Lou, always great to pick their brain. Enjoy the fights, everyone. Enjoy the NBA Finals. Should be outstanding, and it's going Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday is your schedule. So games one and two in Phoenix, and then Sunday in Milwaukee. And we'll obviously keep an eye on how things progress with the health of Giannis Antetokounmpo, the two-time MVP. And don't forget, we have the Daily Wager podcast weekdays, posts around 12.15-ish p.m. Eastern, so a lot of good plays. And we've obviously have the Daily Wager show which is this week, 6 p.m. Eastern, ESPN2, the rest of the week. So usual bad time, bad channel. We'll have tons of UFC picks as well as we get closer to the weekend. So thanks again to everyone, and we'll see you back here next week.